Welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. Hey, hey, hey. How's everybody doing today? Today? I, today. I don't. I'm sorry. Nailed it. Hi, <laughs> Paul. strong. I'm so great strong. at it. I Have can't wait to put this time. up. We're in a war. <laughs> snacking. I feel like you're coming in hot and hay. <laughs> well, I think my brain is a little like discombobulated. It's been a weird week. And I know it's been a weird week because for the second day in a row, I have grease stains on my pants from the donut that I had this morning. <laughs> that sounds like a good day. I'm just sad that you dropped enough donut to leave a grease stain. Well, that means you dropped it, some. It was my driving donut and oh, uh, your driving donut. Which is as opposed to your lounging donut. Walking around pizza. We're going straight into fall foods on this episode I, uh, of Port Yeah, Culture. if you if you know me, I, I eat my, you know, next day pizza as walking pizza and I never sit down with it. And so but Everybody I have a driving donut. <laughs> I have a driving donut in the morning the past two mornings, so I've had to sit it down on my lap so like i can like put mm. all my stuff in in its spot and then i pick it up and i have a grease stain all day on my pants from this freaking donut and um like a circle so, yeah like a bull bullseye need, like, tell them that like was a- the linseed oil we talked about the last episode and you were you were <laughs> no it's taking donut care of your grease. tools let's, it's donut grease it okay. is what it is um, okay okay so yeah. what no, i like is for food is if you get a garbage bag you can put a head hole and arm holes in it and that's what I put on before I do any eating. Last shield. I like it. I like well, that. Well, you know, I was on my way to work. I'm supposed to be a professional, but now I have donuts, grease stains all over me. <laughs> but you so can trust don't me take with your you seriously. I have a master's degree. That's a, it's a, it builds, it's a, like a rapport builder. Mm-hmm. I am one of the, the people. One one. people. Yeah. It's a conversation starter. <laughs> They should have left me. <laughs> it's donuts. But um, anyways, <laughs> what are we talking today, people? What are we talking about today? Yeah. Well, so we've talked a little bit about season extension, you know, as this concept that everybody, not everybody, many people have a fervor for this idea of being able to grow things into the off season or the traditional off season outside of the seasonal window for horticulture, outdoor crops in Kentucky and other places. One of the vexing problems sometimes with those season extended crops is if you're growing them to sell, how do you sell them? How do you market them? Or even if you don't grow things in the off season, surely we don't, surely we just take time off of everything, including production and marketing and thinking about the business, go into a hibernation like yeah, farmers state, don't work in the winter, right? Don't, yeah. Check back when after the first frost or the last frost date, right? Vacation time. And so we thought we'd just talk about this, like this concept of off-season marketing and some of the things that you might do or consider or think about, both in terms of if you wanted to expand your season a little bit and expand your selling window a little bit, uh, but also even if you're not, what can you be doing to to prepare that in the in the off-season? I think. Yeah, I, I have a couple of different things sketched out here of, of what we can maybe talk through. But do you all have any initial thoughts on why why even to think about this in the first place? What's the point of talking about this? What do you have in mind when you hear off-season marketing? The, the thing I you know, always find interesting is during the off-season, you want to keep people, uh, you know, and so my father always said, you know, we, we had a truck route for vegetables. But he said, you got to keep 
people thinking about you. And I always thought about that in the off season when he said that he said, you know, you want to maintain relationships. And, you know, that was years ago before the you know onset of social media, so on and so forth. But he was just talking about maintaining those relationships so that people wouldn't forget about you and go do something else with those resources, with their time or, or whatever. But uh, that's what I think about when I think about off-season marketing, I guess, is I don't know if I'm even to the point of thinking about expansion, but I'm just thinking about keeping what I have as far as a customer base. And I don't know, um, you know there's lots of different ways to do that, I'm sure. But yeah, that's, that's what I think about, Brett, first, when I think about the off-season is depending on the nature of your horticulture business is, first of all, who's your customers and how do you keep at the top of their mind? Uh, that's what I think about. Yeah, I think of that too, as well as like shelf stable kind of products, you know, mm. as a way to kind of push out into that time period where it's an exciting yeah. time in Kentucky. There's a lot more of those. And we have several outlets in the, our, my personal county now that's like complete small grocery stores with shelf stable products. And I think mm. that's awesome. Yeah, that's a great point. I guess by that, I should say like, you know, sauces and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Things, things that you can sell that's out of season that have in some kind of value added product or, you know, something like that. Sure. What else? What about you, Alexis? On top of all of the things already said, I think I think about building my audience as well. Mm-hmm. Expanding. So maintaining what I have, but also building what I have so that when I do have a product, a tangible product they can buy, but also, you know, selling those CSA shares, things like that, like that income. So I think maintaining and building, you know, my market and whether that's, you know, through relationships or education or, you know, you want to keep people thinking about you. But uh, my my big goal personally is 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 building as well. You know, I think I'm doing a pretty good job maintaining. How do I take the next step and to build my audience? So when I've got product, they know about it. Yeah, I think I think that's I mean, all of this kind of touches on the central things that I had sketched out here. And I, I think, you know, sometimes people tend to think of marketing as a, a complicated thing or this thing with like all these secrets. And I think in general, like a lot of other stuff in life, marketing is mostly a bunch of small, simple things that when combined become complex. But a lot of the individual components of the of the things that we're doing are not that complicated in many cases. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, I think, you know, one of the things you all are talking about so far a little bit is the thinking about like how much time you have available at different times of year. And if so, if we're, if we're starting with businesses that are not going to be trying to sell during directly actively sell during the off season, I, I think of it to put some different words to what you all said, it's a time for strategy and it's a time for planning. Uh, what that marketing might look like. And so be curious to hear what you all think, you know, are you evaluating then too, you guys, are you evaluating your current efforts that you've already kind of went through? Yeah, I think, I I think that, that, yeah, that, that the strategy is informed in part by evaluation and reflection back. And Alexis is talking about kind of targeting new markets or new customers, new clientele. I think it's also an opportunity to uh, work on your branding uh, with your strategy within within the strategy, which is to say, maybe you think a little bit more about developing some materials either for either you know, you know your new cards that go on in, on your new bouquet or the new sticker that's going to go on your blueberry container that you are selling the next year. Uh, it could also be a lot of folks. You will use 
um, like templates for their social media stuff where they, they kind of develop a template that has the, the brand, the whatever, the, uh, sorry, the logo, the branding, et cetera. And you can drop a picture into it, drop a message into it, and then use that for, you know, or, or attach a message to it and then use that for your social media. This is an opportunity, a time of year where you're not scrambling. It's almost like uh, people who, who really get really into meal planning. Yeah. You know, where it's like, I can batch out these meals during this focus period of time. And then I have this thing during the week, I can just grab it and go. Mm-hmm. I think that any, you could think about that in terms of the mar- your marketing approach too. Are there things, there are certain aspects of marketing that you're just going to have to do in real time, right? You can't pre-comment on someone's <laughs> comment on your Instagram post, right? <laughs> wow. Thank you for this information, which may or may, may be positive or negative. I appreciate it. <laughs> no. no. You're going to have to do that in real time, but I think that there are. It's a it's a good time also to think about maybe organizing your um, your pictures that you've mm-hmm. taken over the course of the year, putting some labels in. I can't tell you how many times being able to search pictures and search for for content that I've you know you've created. It's it's really helpful, and I always am glad that I did it. And most of mine are just you know silly things, of vacations or or um, my dog mostly. <laughs> All the pictures are just labeled bear. Um, but uh, bear on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but th- those, you know, that's a little bit of that, you know, strategy and planning component of marketing. Yeah. Any, anything you all kind of in the, in that general. I, just, oh yeah, go ahead. Alexis, I, no, I, I heard something that uh, resonated with me that um, I think goes along with what you said is kind of coming up with your, you know, top three, maybe three to five, those pillars you want people to know. So, you know, that you, you've got this product, it's a sale, and then you've got maybe information on, on the growing practices or whatever that is. And then maybe the third one is something more personal. So personal to your family or, or however, however you want to connect to people. And, having those ideas where if you're trying to think of a social media post or an email message or whatever kind of marketing you're doing, does it fall within one of those pillars? And it it, it can be helpful when trying to figure out what you're going to post. And you're like, okay, well, I've talked about, because I think a lot of people feel very salesy in the winter. Like they're very, you know, a car, they feel like a slimy car salesman or something. Mm. And so it can feel weird, but if you can kind of mix it up, well, these are the things that I want to be able to share to people. This is what my market, you know, yeah, you're not going to call your wholesaler and be like, let me tell you all about how I grow my geraniums. Like they don't, they don't care. They want to know how much your geraniums cost, right? But depending on your market, and this is maybe more for the retail side, kind of coming up with those pillars that you want to talk to people about. And maybe you organize your pictures that way, or, you know, you you come up with some posts, those grab and go things that fit within those pillars. And I think that that had been, that thought process was really helpful for me um, of kind of organizing. I like to compartmentalize things. I'm like a tree. I like to compartmentalize. And that was really, that made my brain, it clicked for my brain. So maybe that Mm. will be helpful to someone. Yeah. I I think in general, if you kind of give yourself, if you form a little bit of a structure for yourself, uh, sometimes the difficult part of life is knowing what not to pay attention to or what not to give your energy to. And so, you know, thinking, if you're thinking about social media posts, for instance, you might frame it as, there's kind of a uh, look behind the scenes of the farm. Mm-hmm. There's just a nice product picture 
there's an education post Mm -hmm. and there's a sales post. And that's four posts you're going to do in the course of a week, for instance. Mm -hmm. And that's your structure. It doesn't have to be the same, but every week you're looking to do one of each of those. Exactly. I think think one of the more heady, intimidating, woo-woo, I don't know what (laughs) – that's how people experience teams experience it with branding is thinking really about your values and the values that your customers have and the things that they value in your product. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a really big uh, question or it can feel kind of, yeah, a little touchy feely, but I think it, and one of the things that I talk about in, in local products at least is differentiation is, is your bread and butter. That mm-hmm. is why people would buy your product. Why is it special and why is it special to them? Mm-hmm. And taking some time to think about that. And you may, you may be able, this is another aspect of some, a thing you might consider doing in the off season is a little bit of, you know, market consumer research, uh, trying to pull, maybe you, you uh, tell people if they fill out this survey, they'll, you know, they get 10% off their first whatever purchase from you, or they, mm-hmm. you give them some sort of incentive to, to fill out and give you some honest feedback. And if you give them something, you might be able to ask a little bit more information to doing that, you know, during this time of year can be, it can be a time where you you have more space, mental space to be able to try and do it. Um, I like that idea a lot. Just trying to get some feet, getting feedback from people right now and staying kind of on their, their radar during that time. Ray, you had mentioned, you know, in the, on the staying on the radar, I think, you had mentioned the staying in people's minds or, or yes. kind of any, any thoughts you have on that kind of mechanisms for doing that or things. Well, when you, I, when I think about that now, I guess um, I don't think about this topic a great deal and I should think about marketing first and foremost. But one of the things I wonder about a great deal is, is it easier now with all of the channels that we have? We have, you know, traditional channels like, you know, newspaper articles or, ads and all the way up through the latest, greatest 15, 12 to 15 second, you know, social media videos uh, for kind of product placement sort of things. I guess that's the one thing is knowing, uh, and you know, Alexis started to touch on this, is I guess knowing your potential customer and how are they consuming or being formed about local products. I mean, is that easier now that there seems to be just such a wealth of marketing venues and avenues? What are you guys hearing? That's one of the things I think a lot about. I, and I know that overwhelms people. And I like the way that you're structuring that, Brett, when you talked about you have to have a thinking structure in place first. Or like Alexis put it, uh, the, the way she puts it is compartmentalizes mm-hmm. kind of the way she thinks about things. And I think having that hierarchy in place for marketing is pretty important. Because if you have a wholesale buyer, obviously you're going to not market to them in the same way that you are trying to market to a crowd that may be urban and between the ages of 20 and 40. I mean, is that's what I think about in marketing and try to wrap my head around first is the potential, who is your potential customers? And then how do they consume or know about things? Simple as that. And then I try to target those mechanisms that they use to inform themselves with. Mm-hmm. You know, good old fashioned kind of marketing yeah. research. I mean, how do people get to that point of knowing, you know, which channels are effective? And I, and I, and I love feedback. I love evaluation. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if I try things out, I want some kind of feedback. And and that's one good thing about social media is there's usually some kind of feedback mechanism that's pretty immediate, it seems like. Uh, so I'll, that that's kind of how I think about these topics uh, with marketing and wrapping my head around things. And it all starts, it all keeps going right back to one thing, and that's who your potential customer is and working out from there. Yeah, I think, I mean, do anybody else have any any thoughts on that? Well, something that really resonated with what you said about thinking about using the off season to sort of organize and develop a strategy that you sort of deploy over mm. throughout the season. That really is the first time the concept of marketing has appealed to me because I think of it as something that unrolls and unfolds during the season. Right. And frankly, during the season when I'm doing farm work, my idea of marketing is like this stuff yeah. sells itself. Survival. I shouldn't have to explain anything yeah. to anybody ever. It like, takes I'm too busy. Account. Right. Like this is awesome. Either you want it or you don't. Yeah. But they can come to on be and fight a- me for the right to <laughs> not buy this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Whereas, like, you know, to take that time in the winter to sort of really like sit down and engage with, you know, these questions of like, what do my what do, what do my clients want? What do my subscribers want? How might I organize like a series of recipes to sort of mm-hmm. put together and roll out with, say, subscriber shares and things like that? It really um, it takes the pressure off of switching those gears between like production and sales. And yeah, that would really that that appeals to me. Yeah, it stands out. And I think horticulture in Kentucky, where we are seasonal depending on the operation that you're in, unless you're in just a completely controlled environment, such as a greenhouse and you have year round production, that's pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. I think that adds uh, an interesting spin on things here in Kentucky is our seasonality. That's not Mm -hmm. the same in all places. I mean, does that affect things, Brett, the seasonality, potential seasonality of some of the products that we're trying to get out into the world? Definitely. Definitely. And I also want to say one more thing about the, maybe some of the marketing outlook before we, maybe we can jump over there to the seasonality and season extension and the different ways of achieving that. But I think, you know, I, I have a, a talk about like social media analytics and, and web analytics and in general, some of my talks about social media, I'll put up a picture and it's, it's like this, uh, digital, war room, basically, like a a bunch of computers, lots of people, you know, dozens of people, and they have all the, you know, analytics. And I say, I I hate to break it to you, but like Coca-Cola, this is what their social media team looks like. Right. And then I cut to, if you're lucky, and I show a picture of a baby, like holding a phone, if you're lucky, this (laughs) is what your social media looks like. Part-time baby. Right. Part-time baby who can work the iPhone better than me. But the point being that I think sometimes we tend to think of social media marketing and digital marketing as a small farm and, and Coca-Cola being on an even playing field or using the tools in the same way. And I, I think mm. honestly, they're using the same tools in radically different ways. Totally. And, and what I mean by that is um, Coca-Cola, the person who's marketing that is very likely selling you the person who's selling you working to sell you that product very likely will never ever meet you maybe even be in the same state with you at any point <laughs> in their life <laughs> whereas the the people who i think who do small farm marketing 
well through social media are ultimately using it as an extension of their interpersonal relationships. They're using it as a tool for, for bridging some of those gaps. And so that could be showing their face on it, but it could also just be thinking about uh, how can I confirm experiences that people have had with my product and with my business through my social media and vice versa? You know, is the is there a brand authenticity across those two mm. different, uh, you know, th- those two different types of experiences? And in many cases, because the people who, who are doing it are so amazing and authentic, they don't even, that wouldn't occur to them to lie on their social media or lie in real life to, to mm-hmm. have a, a disconnect there. And so I, I, all, all that all that I'm saying with that is something I think ab- about a lot, especially in the off season, are some of those relationship building opportunities that aren't just make sure you still have some social media posts going out, which you should make sure that you're still reminding people that you're going to be back and when you're going to be back and thanking them for the season that you've had, which you should, you should be doing those things. But I think also just taking opportunities if there are either events or other types of locations or whatever, just taking opportunities to try and make some other connections that could be with additional buyers. It could be if there's, you know, a local, uh, like local fair event type things where you could get out or, or maybe your business provides a sponsorship to something in the off season, something like that to just kind of keep that human level profile elevated mm. in the minds of people. I think that's another, just another thing to think about because we're not, you know, in the small farms world, we're not, we don't have the luxury of twisting the dials and, and, and knobs on the social media machine to make people buy what we want mm-hmm. them to buy. It's, it's a, it's a more, much more of a relationship driven business in most cases mm-hmm. regardless. And so, so some, and some of those relationships could be, emailing, you know, sending out an email to the people who are on your email list saying thank you or offering them some sort of mm-hmm. incentive to buy from you again. Or it could be um, also it could be if you're interested in selling to other types of businesses, things like restaurants or things like, you know, other retailers or in the case of like flowers, if you were trying to have have a certain business, you know, buy flowers to put on the tables in their restaurant or put, you know, uh, have a display in there at their, uh, if you offered like office suite, you know, arrangements or so, I don't know, something like that. Yeah. Those types of going out and exploring, again, just thinking, I have the time now to think about this, to develop maybe a, a product or a, a service that I can can offer and then being able to go out and talk and, and, and interact when you're not frazzled by the realities of a growing <laughs> mm-hmm. right? as Josh was talking about. Um, I, yeah. Brad, this reminds me, and I think you, you said this, and uh, it reminds me of some of the best advice I've ever gotten. It was given to me from an extension personnel, but I have adapted it and said like, well, this makes sense for business as well as people come to your classes, people buy things when we're talking about small, you know, not even just small, but the more local uh, aspect of communities because of you and their relationship to you. So who, you know, their connection to you, because I they can get tomatoes at the store. They can get tomatoes from anyone at the farmer's market. So why right. are they buying them from you? you? Yeah, maybe they taste better. You can spit a lot of facts. Well, local flowers are better and sustainability and blah, blah, blah. But when it comes down to it, there are more of you or more businesses 
similar enough to you, but why, why you, why should they buy from you? And so making that connection on a more personal level. And like you said, like, I know a lot of people are uncomfortable with, you know, putting their face on social media. It's just, it's just not something, but having a face to connect to that product, even if it's occasionally, or even like a picture of your dog sometimes can be, can be enough. But I love those categories Brett mentioned. Yeah. Uh, It takes some of the cognitive load off when it's fast and furious in the summer. Right. You have categories of things that you want to convey that are very specific. I think that's great. And like, like the dog picture may convey a certain behind the scenes, personal Mm -hmm. aspect of the farm versus field production aspect. Yeah, that's what why relationship that, can you form with those people, mm-hmm. even if you never meet them or maybe never even message them, but they feel like they have a relationship with you. And I feel like, you know, we probably all have someone like Brett talks about all his bonsai people that he watches, like in, in the way he talks about them is as if he kind of almost had a relationship with them. And They're my best yeah. friends. Exactly. <laughs> and so parasocial. he's more likely to buy something from those people. Yeah. yeah. I'm than wearing from, them their hoodies right now. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so how do you be, become that? And it's by being most importantly, your most authentic self. No one, you don't need to buy your followers and fake fake your personality or anything but sure. just be yourself and share 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 your hardships share all of those things with people and and kind of set yourself up to be a little bit more open um and if i can do it you can do it <laughs> yeah Listen, this is, uh, as has as ever been a problem and I, I can think of a couple situations where that kind of relate to the comment i'm about to make but have you and i know josh you uh and Brett work on more of a state level, whereas Alexis and I are, are county based. But have you guys ever worked with someone that's been like really, really good at marketing to the point to where they may have over marketed? I mean, because I guess what I'm getting at is you have an operation. Social media can be very powerful if you know how to work that and, and marketing channels if you're good at marketing and you have just X amount of production capacity. Have you guys ever run anybody that's been so good at marketing that they ran into production issues not being enough? Uh, yes. <laughs> and is that a problem, though? I mean, it's a great problem it, to have that you can sell out. Is it a problem? Well, so, yeah, I, I would say in general, for every one person that is like that, there are 20 who are great into production and are not they don't think that much about marketing or don't care much for marketing yeah i would Mm. say more like a hundred yeah yeah so the vast amount of people are more it seems like that i work with a more producer oriented versus marketing oriented Uh, definitely i but like in the one of the case very specifically there was people the people who were very very good at marketing and when it came time to deliver the product the product was of a massively inferior quality and the people felt that they consumers felt that they had been sold a bill of goods about what was going to be delivered and it wasn't and it was not good not a good thing to to happen i'll say generally speaking when i meet with with new producers who are interested in doing some sort of thing uh some sort of business farm business if they come from a background where they operated a retail store or they thought about, they came from marketing or they even came, even something from like more of an analytics or uh, accounting or that kind of background, I tend, I tend to, you know, give them a little bit better odds of succeeding as a business versus people. if they're trying to figure out the production side and they already have some of the bookkeeping and marketing, et cetera, side versus people who start as, you know, died in the wool plant people who are trying to make it into a business because 
I think that those skills are a lot less fun to learn on the fly in, in many cases and less enjoyable. And, and so, yeah, I, that's been my experience that the, the, a lot of the, it, 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 there are counter examples to both of these, but like in general, if someone has a really decent head for or mind for uh, an experience for marketing and business and they're learning the plant side, it, it, to me, it's usually that they're, they're going to have a, a easier go of it because they're going to they're not going to go down the pathways that lose the money for very long. Like someone. Yeah. A plant person going to be more objective about things. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen some uh, on the flip of that. I've seen, you know, you know, and I'm sure we all have because it's more common producers that let's say I worked with a producer once that I don't know, had an acre of had never had, um, had produced tomatoes on a pretty good scale, but had never done that on uh on a plastic culture system where mm. you're irrigated and you're running fertilizer through and maximizing, you're absolutely maximizing your production where well, they maximize their production. And they just had thousands of pounds that went to waste. And that was hard to look at. They had a tremendous amount of product. And this person was a very smart person. They said, you know, we're torn. Do we sell these at such a rock bottom price that basically we're losing money just to kind of move them and make some of the money back and set the bar so low that in the future people are going to complain when we raise the prices to a sustainable level? I mean, they were making great considerations, but they knew that they had messed up. They had overproduced and they did not put the time into marketing. And it was hard for me to watch that. They had more production than they had accounted for. And I'm sure that's a more common situation uh, that probably all of us have seen. But it's bad either way. Without the balance between the two, it's it's bad either way. So it's the tough. chicken or the egg, they have to grow. Yeah. yeah. Got to go together. It's mm-hmm. very difficult. Well, a yeah. couple, uh, Ray, you were asking a little bit about, you know, seasonality and the way that that plays into it. And I, I remember back when I had first started um, this job, I proposed – to I think that it was back when Southern Sog was a thing, <laughs> the Southern Sustainable Ag Working Group. I proposed a pre-conference session to them, and I kind of got some strange looks, but they were maybe encouraged by my enthusiasm. And I, what I what I proposed was to do a a session on season extension and value added as strategies for extending your market. And up to that point, many people seem to have not made, this is a couple of years ago, seem to have not made the connection between those two. And I, I see those as two of the main ways that if you're interested in, in directly selling and marketing into the off season, those are the two ways that you're going to probably approach doing that. And so, for instance, with the, with the season extension, you can do that either through growing stuff in high tunnels or low tunnels, all the technologies we talked about before. Uh, another angle on it, it would be thinking about potentially marketing some of the storage type products. Now, you do have to account for the costs associated with doing that, but you know there are opportunities for doing that as far as this is just on the product side. I'll talk about the markets here in a second. But And then with value added, you've got all the, the gamut of the ways that people have done food preservation for thousands of years, drying and fermenting being probably the oldest, but also things like freezing and canning and all the, the various permutations and combinations of all of those. Now, you do have some regulations and things you need to be aware of in terms of uh, you know where you are and whether you can sell this stuff. But I mean, that, that food preservation is a huge part of human history. And we've, we've lost a lot of that through the strange relations of global 
air air travel and and everything the idea where there are some there are some, it's just a strange thing that there are some people who live in northern climates who eat fresh vegetables year round is a bizarre <laughs> thing that would be unimaginable to some uh even just Ray, 50 years what ago. was that like <laughs> when you when you experienced that as someone born the in the 1800s we just dug through the permafrost <laughs> The first time you had a winter watermelon, was that just mind-boggling to you? It was. It was. Seasonality became not a thing anymore. Globalization. The shelf stability is pretty huge for the you know the broader food system. Uh, yeah. I don't really know mm-hmm. the statistics on it, but I'm willing to bet a lot of calories consumed are shelf-stable products. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, I have found I have found a little bit of strangeness in the fetishizing of fresh fruits and vegetables year round by mm-hmm. you know public health people and like people sure. smart people and uh, you know a frozen vegetable is good i don't know yes, like, it. it's okay to it's okay to eat frozen vegetables a canned vegetable good i mean mm-hmm. i guess you could make some argument about the salt content but like they have low sodium or they Very tasty. Know, whatever yeah. but like that is a that has been a little bit of a strange i'm getting on my soapbox and out of the marketing here but it has been a little bit of a strange thing of of like it's this kind of all or nothing mentality or something about about eating fruits and vegetables like if you ate 10 servings of frozen vegetables per day during the winter Mm -hmm. you'd you'd be doing good you'd be glowing you know and and the idea of anyway but but so that that season extension component of having, you know, some of the, some of the crops that you can grow more year round and the value added stuff is, is to me like the, the primary uh, prongs of the strategy as far as on the product side of marketing in the off season. But then the question becomes, where are you going to sell it? And this is something that, you know, people, sometimes I think people take advantage or take, uh, take for granted the fact that, that these, things like farmers markets or things like regular season marketing exist. Like they, that, that act of, of market making of creating a market in the first place where people who's marketing go. the market. Exactly. And, oh Lord. And I, you know, other, other people in other types of, uh, uh, in other areas have to create their own market. And, mm-hmm. and so they don't necessarily take that for granted. And they also maybe are more open, but I, I think that, uh, if if a person is out there and they've mainly marketed dur- through a market that existed, like a thing like a farmer's market, for instance, they might be sh- shocked by how much work it takes to create visibility, create uh, a sense of uh, a brand trust. and trust, yeah. awareness, etc. Uh, whereas someone who's created their own market or, or mostly created their own understands that, I think. But um, there are people who do fall off-season CSAs. You can do farm store, on-farm stand, pick up kind of market opportunities on the farm. You can do things like an online store and other kinds of uh, methods like that. A couple of the other ones that are outside of that direct marketing side is uh, marketing to schools, you know, the farm Mm -hmm. to school this is one of the tricky since our school year is in part has been determined by our agricultural seasons. They are kind of the opposite of each other. And so off season does offer, offer an opportunity to potentially market to schools, but there's some other challenges associated with that. And then the last one we mentioned earlier, but like 
establishing those relationships if you're interested in moving in a wholesale direction or a you know some sort of intermediated direction the off season can be a good time for establishing some of those relationships ahead of a coming season and that's a part of the reason why we see some of the trade shows and other uh, activities during that time of year so th- that's kind of the just the overview for me of thinking about products and markets as these big themes within that what else do you all want to any, any of that spark anything I- I want to address just because I've seen it across a lot of the platforms that I am on and like just other other growers and small business people that are going there's there was kind of this like everyone was doing email marketing right like when when we started everybody was doing we email. used to read emails yeah and then <laughs> and then it moved right Facebook Instagram TikTok all of these you know got big and so it, there was this push to go and and use these and and you can even sell right through those platforms but now what i have noticed is a lot of people are going back to email marketing and keeping their like their social media for more of the education, more of the updates. This is what's going on, you know, and they're still saying, Hey, we have these products available, but they're not selling in the way they used to. They're using email marketing for that. And Brett, I wanted your, your thought process on that, because from what I'm hearing, the, if you are putting something up for sale, like if you're saying, here's, we've got $20, you know, bouquets or whatever, um, up that the algorithm is picking that up and not not putting that out to people as much is what is what I'm hearing I I don't I haven't looked at the research on that but it feels correct from what I've said and so a lot of those people are just saying hey we'll be at farmers market but then in an email they're saying these are all the things we're gonna have these are the price points or you know we're sell they sell their CSA through email and they you know try and get people onto the email list from social media what's your have you heard anything? What's your take? Yeah, I don't know specifically about the the algorithmic effects. I, I do know that there's seems to be a constant tinkering and then a constant need to adjust to that. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree, though. Starting back a little before COVID and since then, we, we have generally seen email marketing is one of the most it, ha- it has one of the higher conversion rates in terms of mm-hmm actual calls to action because mm-hmm. it's almost like when you you know i don't know like when like the uh social media is kind of like more for entertainment like it's this mm-hmm. thing that's passing by and we're kind of glazing over it whereas the email marketing is different yeah is a little bit more of yeah. that interpersonal interaction it also allows it allows the customer to opt into or out of a more in-depth relationship with the business yeah. and they can, they can curate it, in a like they haven't changed the algorithm on my inbox. Right. Uh, right. Emails. Right. Whereas people who want to be involved can be. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So I think that's definitely, and, and again, it's, it's an extension of your brand and relationship and reputation in the first place. And so if people are having a good experience with your product and your product is bringing them joy or it's making their life better and you're not, you know, abusing that relationship, then they're happy to receive an email mm-hmm. from you or they're, mm-hmm. they're excited by that. It's like so, getting a letter from a friend. Like mm-hmm. in theory, I would want my emails to come across that way. Like they can't wait to see what I've been up to or picture the dog or, or whatever. Um, and it's when they see something come from me, it's, it's like I'm sending an email to a friend. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know that sounds 
kind of silly, but that's kind of how I've trained my brain to think about it because that's what I like to receive when I receive an email from, you know, I get some from, uh, there's a business called Florette and they're out in Washington state. I've never met her. I don't, I've never spoken to her anything, but I love when I get her emails because they're, I get pretty pictures. Um, I get to see all the cool stuff they're doing at the farm. And it feels like a friend has sent me an email. And then she's like, oh, by the way, our seed sale is happening. And I'm like, let me just click, 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 you know? So it worked. <laughs> there's so much that goes into that. I mean, there's like subtle things like knowing the formatting, the proper formatting, you know, of the email itself and rich text and HTML and all of that stuff, you know, that's people that do it really well are very deliberate and they're very informed about like even as something as simple and as so-called old fashioned as uh, email, there's, there's an art to that too, of making mm -hmm. those things engaging and, and good to look at within the body of an email, not an attachment, not a PDF newsletter mm -hmm. of a farm, but it actually in the body of the email and all of that is, you know, lots of skill sets come to play there. Yeah. Well, some, something Brett had mentioned, I mean, about the, you know, they each have their place, right? Like the, the social media use of marketing, social media is this feed, right? And it has this kind of ephemeral quality to it. If you're there, when it goes by, you get that information, but that's very distinct from an email, which the email might come in and I will notice it and think I need to read that later more deeply. And that isn't really an option with stuff that's happening through like mm -hmm. kind of the social media feed. It's pushed down on the feed and you never see it again. Sometimes. Right. I'd be like, oh, Unless I wish I could, on it. Like it's not an archived thing that I can even really search through. If I missed it that day, like it might as well not even exist anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, you guys mentioned like the conversion rate. I, I wonder how people convert like episodic contacts that may just be coincidental or just kind of anonymous. How do you capture and convert those to uh, some kind of database or constant contact format where you can communicate with them more regularly? I'm, I've always been interested in that. How do I capture, pe capture people's contacts where I can get a hold of them again? You know, the shotgun approach to marketing where you just kind of throw the spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks, that's one format mm -hmm. that is good in certain regards, but it's totally mm -hmm. another thing, another thing to try to convert those contacts into somebody that you're communicating with regularly. I've always been really interested in how people do that effectively. Yeah. And it, I don't know, how do, it, how do they? The complexity can spin up pretty quick. Uh, mm, yeah, that, yeah. That becomes the time where like, you know, you have a person who is your marketing person in your business. If you, you know, or, or you have a marketing person who leads a marketing team in your business and their job is to, you know, coordinate those things. And so you have to, I think, I think there is a, being real with yourself about in the, in the same way that you, as a, you know, one person operating a business, you're not going to put out 10 acres of tomatoes. If you don't have any help, you have to be kind of targeted with what you're going to be doing with your marketing as well. And I, I think just to touch on, on something we've, we've covered, we said a couple of times and, and Ray, you just brought it up with the, all the skill sets involved and all of the, the different things that are required. Um, I think that to me, that fits also with the idea that sometimes we marketing when it comes across to the consumer feels really sleek and timely and cool and effortless <laughs> mm -hmm. and all those things. The function of art and science and everything else in between. But it is, I mean, at its heart, it is a really, a set of really, I don't know if say boring, but kind of boring, mm -hmm. you know, 
calculated. It has structure. It's, yeah. It's in, in some ways no different than the, how many seeds you need to put in to have a certain number of flat. Like the, the, it, there is this very mechanistic planning, boring, Process. Just describe the Matrix, Brett, for those that are old enough to know that movie. <laughs> yeah. Just describe the Matrix. It's like it's so good that you don't see the machinations behind all of those things coming together. Yeah, and and yeah, it's 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 like if you ever get the chance to look behind the scenes at like uh uh like a theatrical production or mm. it's like it's a mess or a kitchen, but you know, in a, yeah, yeah, a right. restaurant. It's a mess. It's crazy back there, but the the cold back of the house, thing front out of the front. House. And and I I say that not to I don't know get us off topic or or in some way um, demean the process I think it's it's just there I, I I hear a lot of people of course we hear people who say they don't they don't have a green thumb but as far mm-hmm. as people who are in this farming small farming world there will be people who say well I'm just not good at marketing or marketing is just not really my thing I don't really and there there is something to not enjoying it or like not enjoying the processes associated with it. But sometimes I think people tend to think of it as a personality type as opposed to a set of processes and skills. And and there are natural people who are naturally better at it than others or who pick up on it quicker than others or who kind of understand. But so much of it is there's a thing in woodworking that everything's easy once you know how. Yeah. You know, you'll see, oh my gosh, this is like the craziest, you know, thing. I don't know how <laughs> I can't even imagine how I would do that. And then they show you like a simple process and like, oh, that's how you do it. And it's still cool. It's it, and it's for people who don't know, it still holds mystery and it still holds value. But I think a lot of the marketing stuff, that's what we how we try to talk about it is as a, a series of relatively, you know, simple steps. And so the Can I make a request? Yeah. <laughs> As a grower, I'm so uh, it hit me because Ray said, you know, how do I collect those emails for email marketing? How do I get people onto my email list if email marketing is so important? And so there's kind of the like traditional aspect of, you know, you collect them at at farmer's market or you collect them in places where you're, you know, having those one-on-one conversations with people, but not everybody markets that way, right? And so one thing that I've seen and and I'm trying to figure out is like a, a way to give people something and in order for them to get it, they have to put their email in. And so like it's a PDF. It's not like something, you know, it's just like for, you know, in my case scenario, it might be how to take care of your flowers best for longest face life. And so then it's like this nice thing that you've probably made in the winter and you've gone on, you know, gone online, put pretty pictures in, typed it all out, or it might be a recipe that you are trialing over the winter. And in order for people to get the recipe for the squash that you have sold them, they have to give you their email address. And then, but I can't figure out how to set it up, like where they automatically get an email with the said pdf or recipe Mm. Uh, so i'm so Mm. like that in my brain i'm just like i guess you have to have a certain type of setup and you have to pay for certain things and it's just it 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 has already overwhelmed me so it's going to be my december thing (laughs) it's it's sort of like the ebook principle like if you sign up for our free for our newsletter we'll send you this free ebook yeah yeah exactly and just like how to how the yeah. mechanics actually work for that. I know what I want it to do. I just, I'm not sure. And I know I this is getting personal. The biggest but- hurdle uh, is the, obtaining the motivation to know that you you will figure out a way to do that. 
Mm-hmm. And because people do that, I think the fact that you have that motivation is that's the most important thing. And it's a, something to do. You know, that's your we, we talked about nesting last time. Right. So that's like a lot of marketing stuff is like my some of my nesting things. And I'm like, well, I'll design it. I'll figure figure that out during the winter when I can put a little more brain to that mm-hmm. side of it. Great off season project. Mm-hmm. We talked about that last episode as well. <laughs> that off season there yeah there is there ever a Shameless true off plug. season when you're thinking about when you need to be thinking about marketing producing is one thing selling is another yeah it's like i hate calling it an off season i just want to call it like the indoor season the like, other season. because you're you're still most people even if they're not doing season extension as far as a growing season extension they are thinking about next season right so it's just like they may be thinking about marketing without calling it that, but they may be thinking about how they're going to lay their beds out or how they're going to do better weed per, you know, control. So it's like, I just want to call it the indoor season. Oops, sorry. Just kidding. I'm throwing my things around, people. Indoor season. Talking with your hands. Talking yeah, I like indoor hands. season. Cold season, not growing season. Well, I, yeah, but it is growing season for a lot of us. So indoor season seems more. We're growing indoors. So. <laughs> mm, yeah. You put some thought into that. That works. Indoor season it is. Like it, the indoor it. TM, TM, TM. Instead of the Netflix season or the, the tube season, we're the indoor season. That's what, yeah, that's what plant people call it. We're the indoor season. Netflix and chili season. Ooh, mm-hmm. I like chili. Well, Brad, any other like words of wisdom for people who maybe are feeling a bit overwhelmed? It's the end of the season. So we're, number one, we're all tired, but uh, I think also. You know, when January rolls around and we're kind of starting to get the itch again, things that you might suggest, like start here and see how that goes. And I know you guys have great resources on this. And I yes, know you've got awesome some fantastic one. resources. Uh, if you could just talk a second and kind of give those a plug, you guys, about the, all the resources you've developed and all the live resources you can, you know, work with. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a, a pretty extensive um, library of videos now from the Center for Crop Diversification at the our YouTube channel, which is just the at CCDUKY. We have a couple publications. Um, we have one called What to Think About Before You Plant that is, it's generally about thinking through marketing, uh, some steps for identifying markets, because in an ideal scenario, we want, we would love to have everything sold either in the abstract sense or or concretely before it even goes in the ground. That's the ideal mm-hmm. scenario as opposed to I got a truck bed full of yellow squash. Where should I take it? Come on, get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Into the city, downtown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so we also have a, a thing called the, the horticulture biz quiz, which is a interactive tool that we use for, for people who are just kind of evaluating what they have available uh, in terms of land labor and capital, and then giving some suggestions for thinking about crops that you might consider. Um, and that'll also have some bearing on your, um, uh, your market channels and, and approach to marketing as well. I think as far as this time of year, um, we do have some, some budgets that we use uh, enterprise budgets. And I think mm-hmm. if you have never worked with a budget before for planning ahead of a season, um, it does not a it doesn't have to be a scary thing. Um, it may not be terribly exciting to some, maybe very exciting to others. Me. But the the budgets are, are really like a starting point, and I, I think of them as a a way to try to make sure that I have at least accounted for all, what all of my costs categories or co- types of costs will be. 
It may not be that I have them dialed in perfectly. I know exactly how much I'm going to spend on everything, or maybe I do work toward that, but working off some of those budgets as an as a way to like project, okay, this is what I think I'm going to probably spend. And this is how much I'm really targeting to, to sell. Um, if, and making some of those goals, I think for the season can be really helpful. It can also give you just some, some more context for whether or not the season is going the way that you thought it would, you know, it's not like if you don't meet your goal, you fail or something like that, but uh, it allows you also, as Alexis was talking about earlier, to have a little bit more thoughtful consideration, maybe at the end of next season, about where and how you want to expand your uh, your market and expand your customer base. And I, I think in general, the more that you can flexibly prepare ahead of the season, production and marketing wise, that's to kind of what Josh uh, had, had talked about you're going to thank yourself later that you have kind mm. of had a plan mm-hmm. or you had pulled some things together and think, man, I wish I had done even more of this, or this was completely useless. I'm not going to do that next year. I'm going to do this instead. Um, Cause once that, once things start warming up and the weeds start growing and the, the crops start growing, it's, it's a runaway train for a while, kind of white knuckling it through the season. So doing a little prep ahead of time in the same way that you, if you, you know, pack your lunch the night before and that crazy hectic morning the next day, it's much easier to get out the door without a stressful experience. It's kind of a similar, similar. Mindset. <laughs> so I do think it's important to actually rest though, and not stay steady on the grind 24 seven <laughs> yourself sick or ill or miserable and full of spite. You will know you will, you in the long term won't be able to do this anymore. And so you will lose the race against the version of yourself that took the time to rest and maybe didn't uh, grind so hard. And um, Alexis is <laughs> Yeah. Alexis says you're wrong. Um, <laughs> Alexis learned, is gritting her teeth. I learned a new technique to uh, deal with the crit when the crazy uh, go- comes. Grinding your stop teeth. Your brain. <laughs> I actually don't grind my teeth. Surprisingly. My eye twitches. Um, that's yeah, how I know. I remember that. No, I learned a new technique. I'm going to share with you guys really quickly. Huh? When you're ang- I. By the way, I am not a doctor, but this has worked for me. <laughs> is cover one eye, like mm-hmm. just whatever like you're doing, just cover one eye for like 20 seconds. And sometimes it might not work and you need to try the other eye. And it, I, I think that goes back to what part of your brain is causing the mm. like anxiety. So you got to figure out which side for like roughly 20 seconds. And oh my gosh. Hmm. It really works. Like you don't have to like close your eyes. You just cover one eye. I've done it three times today. If that tells you how great my day's been. <laughs> You're having a fantastic day. Did you do it while you had walking pizza? Um, I did it while I was driving. You, so you, was put, driving. The pizza, you put the pizza <laughs> over into, her eye. Jumping into things, driving over curves. <laughs> my monocular vision is not serving me well today. I, uh, I, driving I saw donut. It. Someone said it and I was like, well, that's simple and it's not going to hurt me and I don't have to buy anything. So, you know, they said, they said, they do it at night when they, their brain won't shut off and they just keep mm. thinking and stressing and that's when they use it. And I am the person who's so exhausted that I'm immediately asleep. I mean, like seconds it takes me. So um, my anxiety is during the day. Um, <laughs> it starts when I wake up. Indoor, wake indoor up. season anxiety. is <laughs> during my indoor season. But yeah, I, I saw that. So if, so if you're out in the, just out in the field, just, you know, cover one eye maybe. And, and I swear it helps. But maybe that's just wishful thinking and either way I'll take it. So. 
Mm-hmm. That's great. Sorry, sorry I hijacked yeah, that works, conversation. But yeah, I guess you should rest. I don't know. I like to, I think I'm really excited to set my budgets for next year. Sure. So for me, that's exciting. And yeah, well, I think it's about, it's, you know, people rest in different ways, you know, not, <laughs> not all resting is, is, you know, laying, laying down and eyes closed. And uh, there are some, you know, uh, people do it. Some in of us ways. can only afford to cover one eye. Okay. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And, and I think that, you know, the, the, it's a, it's more about being in touch. This is very touchy feely, but I, I just finished it. a book called the body keeps the score, which is about. Oh yeah. Facts, uh, man. And, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, it's about being in, in touch with, and in, in connection with your body and what's happening within it. And the more that you can do that, that's what made me think about the, with your eye, the eye thing is mm-hmm. there's a certain like reconnection to some aspect of your body mm-hmm. there, which in this, you know, there, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty crazy book. Shut that down, Alexis, shut it down. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Reconnect to the body. And so I think that that's it is that, you know, be honest that, you know, I'm just exhausted. I'm like worn down to the bone. I need to do something, go visit someone. Do something some to re-energize yourself. Who knows what, but like do the thing that you need to do and be honest with yourself. Have a seance. Yeah. Seance, Beyonce seance. Beyonce seance. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's all uh, there, you know, marketing is a, a lot there's a lot of different angles you can take on it but um maybe uh if you all like marketing you can leave us a review and let us know what part of marketing you would like to uh like to hear about but i think it's a time it's a timely thing so maybe we can pick or if you all have any thoughts about what specifically you'd like to have in i mean brett's a wealth of knowledge and he also knows a you know an awesome amount of people who know all different sides of marketing so if you want to learn about a csa or you want to learn about how to set up a you know email marketing account or i mean it, really anything feel free to drop us an email at hortculturepodcast at l.uky.edu or you can send us a direct message at Hort Culture Pod on Instagram and uh, let us know. And I'm not ending this. I just, it was a beautiful segue for me to be able to say we, we'd love to do more marketing. And if there's something specific that you all would like to hear about, we'd be more than happy to discuss it or bring in an expert to discuss it. Or if you want to know more about budgets or something like that, everybody's is a little different, but there are some things that, you know, we could cover. But yeah, any other, anything else from the, from the boys? I don't think so. Not here. <laughs> awesome. Well, we uh, thank you all for joining us today. We hope you had a great time and <laughs> and that you will join us next week. Again, please uh, f- leave us a review. Uh, if you s- have a second to just be like, sounds cool. That's good with us. You can even just put a period. There's no exclamation point needed unless you're into that kind of thing. That would be great. It helps other people find us, uh, and, and we've been really enjoying this, so we appreciate all of you who listen on a regular basis and, and have found us. So thank you so much for that, uh, and we hope that as we grow this podcast, you will grow with us, and we hope that you join us next time. Have a great one.